I'm Elena Salinas, software engineer and host of the Women in Tech show, technical interviews with prominent women in tech. Cloud computing technologies are changing how network services are developed. These services had been traditionally deployed in physical boxes and require more maintenance. Heather Kirksey, VP of Community and Ecosystem for the LF Networking, explains how network services moved from hardware to virtual machines and now to containers. We talked about how this is implemented and the benefits of this approach. Before we continue with the interview, I wanted to tell you that I launched a new podcast. It's called Five Minute Mentor. In this podcast, you'll hear from prominent engineers, authors, entrepreneurs, artists, and more in five minutes or less. Check it out by going to mentors.fm or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts by searching Five Minute Mentor. Thank you. Heather Kirksey, VP of Community and Ecosystem for the LF Networking, is here with us at KubeCon in Barcelona. Heather, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much. It's great to be here. Thank you. And today we're going to talk about cloud-native technologies and design paradigms that are influencing in the development of the next generation of network services. This is the second time you come on the show. We did a show about network services and network functions. For those that didn't hear that episode, I wanted first to begin with some examples of network services so that people understand what we're talking about. So some of those can be things that you don't typically see, like the elements that you that enable cell phone roaming, for example. They could also be things like um, CDNs or other types of, especially if, if we are talking 5G, uh, applications that run very close to the edge to provide cool experiences for consumers like you know, autonomous driving or AR, VR type applications. But you know, generally, these are going to be applications that are fairly network intensive in their workloads and might require some more complicated networking needs than kind of your typical enterprise, you know, or, or web applications. One of the things I've heard you mention before is all this is within the telecom industry. And I'm just going to quote what you said. You said, we tend to think of things in terms of boxes. Can you explain <laughs> yes. what this means? Yeah. So if you look at how people built networks in the past and, you know, you could take like the public internet even, you know, or the global wireless network uh, as an example, we, you know, when these were first designed, there were, you know, legitimate boxes that were used for connectivity. So, you know, something like a DSLAM, that was where all the DSL wires from everyone's house would come together to be taken to the next hop. So we had network elements that were out there physically in the world when we first started building networks. And now that you know, cloud technologies are here, you know, we're trying to, you know, and by we, I mean the telecom <laughs> industry and ecosystem, you know, we're trying to stop thinking in terms of specialized boxes and more generalized compute, managed like cloud infrastructure over which we can you know, deliver network services. Just a quick recap, what you're saying is the way uh, traditionally, like, well, the telecom industry has been around for over 100 years. So you're saying we have these boxes that can be um, routers or switches and functionality lives in these boxes. Yes, there'll be a single purpose box, the hardware and software, and sometimes even the chipset would all be integrated to like and optimized to perform that function or that capability. Before we get on to talking about 
the latest effort in terms of bringing the cloud native technologies to network architectures. Let's talk about the next step going from functions living in these hardware boxes, moving to early virtualization and using VMs. Can you explain this a little bit? Yeah. So starting, I don't know when I say, about half a dozen years ago, a couple of concepts came in. Yeah, software-defined networking being one and network function virtualization being the other. And the idea, operators... We're looking at sort of, you know, if you've got a bunch of boxes, you end up with very complicated ways to provision them and interact with them. So it's very hard to deploy new services and you're sending people literally to things and sidewalks in different neighborhoods. So seeing what was happening in cloud, you know, they decided to start abstracting that functionality. So it wasn't integrated hardware and software, it was disaggregated. And so they started looking at, okay, you know, VMs and, you know, things like that are out there. So let's take some of these things that were functions and boxes and have them in software and, um, you know, place them on some cloud infrastructure in VMs, which was, you know, a really cool idea. Um, it did sometimes mean that instead of physical boxes, we ended up with VMs that mimicked them, you know, so we would have the exact same thing that might have been, you know, at a cell tower doing exactly what happens at a cell tower. And we put a lowercase V <laughs> in front of the, you know, what, what the name of that you know, network element was before. It was a really good and important and actually quite challenging first step for, you know, folks who didn't have a lot of software expertise. So the fact that now this functionality moved to virtual machines, you're saying one of the things it solves is that you don't need people physically going to neighborhoods to change the boxes. But you also mentioned that it essentially was just re-implementing what was in the boxes. In the VMs, it sounds like that had some issues. What were the trade-offs for that? Honestly, for when the performance, we move things into software and, you know, on vanilla, more vanilla white box hardware. And a lot of the earlier elements had been very specifically designed for the highest throughput, right? If we're talking about network intensive workloads. So, you know, there were some things where, you know, you just didn't get the same performance. And so in order to get performance, you know, we maybe started doing some things that would not render your infrastructure immutable <laughs> to use a, you know, a cloud native concept. Also trying to do all of the, the networking that existed before, you know, we may have ended up increasing complexity in the meantime. For the next generation of network architectures, the design and paradigms are coming from cloud applications and cloud systems and how they're being used and implemented. And I saw this is being called CNFs, cloud network functions. What is the motivation behind these new architecture? Yeah, I just really quickly, cloud native network functions. We have lots of folks, um, some people think we mean containerized network functions, so, but we really mean cloud native network functions. So both in terms of the technology being used like containers and Kubernetes, but also, you know, learning from, you know, the, that kind of more cloud native design as well. Some of the motivation is around simplification, I think. In our first generation of virtualization, because we hadn't shifted our minds so much, we tend to still tended to have that box mentality. We didn't necessarily, infrastructures from one operator to the other still looked quite different, right? Even if we're talking VMs. And so getting that sort of interoperability, right? You know, if you're a vendor, like say someone like Ericsson or Nokia, or even a smaller startup who might have an interesting idea for a network application, you end up having to do a lot of rewriting for every service provider, which doesn't really help you scale all that well. And then on the other hand, 
And if you're a service provider, you're going to end up having to do a lot of customization and pre-qualification work with every vendor. So the, you know, that that benefit of agility and fast time to market, um, you weren't really, you weren't able to, to achieve that. And so, you know, I think the idea is if we can get to a place where, you know, infrastructure is more similar across, you know, Vodafone and AT&T and Orange and China Mobile and Telstra, you know, you know, all around the globe, then the people who are writing those applications won't have to do as much customization and the operators will be able to get services a lot faster and not have to invest in as much upfront testing. And one core component of cloud native and cloud computing is the container. We've also done shows about VMs and containers. Listeners can refer to that. What I want to ask you is, are we now, first we started with boxes, physical boxes, then mimic that in the VMs. Are we mimicking that in containers or not really? I think that we are slowly getting a lot better at it. We actually, we had a workshop here on Monday where we had a number of vendors, open source organizations and operators kind of talk about some of their journey and transition. One of the things, you know, we heard from folks who are redesigning, it's what we call the packet core. And that is all of the functions that allow you to roam amongst service providers, allow them to see how many minutes you're using against your plan, um, able to make sure that they can shape your traffic so that your video comes through and gets higher priority than your data. So it's not really that we are doing the same, but in a container, things are changing. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, those are kind of capabilities that you need for cellular networks. And especially back in sort of the older days, you know, state was very much built into them. You know, the boxes held a lot of state locally. So as we're trying to go, you know, more cloud native, um, trying to figure out how to deal with state in a different way and how to deal with certain types of interconnections amongst service providers. It is actually fairly challenging because it is a, you know, not only have they been around for a while, but they are a slightly different class of, of application. So we had a couple of different uh, talks that were interesting about how people had you know, started thinking about how they can break apart these applications, how state can be, you know, things can be more stateless and how things can work together. And there's a lot more, you know, figuring that out. And that is kind of why we're trying to call call them cloud native functions as opposed to simply cloud, which, you know, depending on your definition of cloud could, you know, could apply to the previous ones or containerized because we really want to, you know, start looking at different ways of, of doing things. Yeah. And what are some of the the things that are encompassed in this cloud native term? Yeah. So, I mean, to me, I think if you look at the definition of cloud, you know, of cloud native, you know, microservices, you know, is in there. Immutable infrastructure is in there. I think, you know, you don't want your application to have to have any awareness of the network, but you want the network to be able to provide what is needed, <laughs> you know, by the network. You know, one exercise that we're looking at right now, there was, I think, a fairly, fairly well-known blog published a while ago about sort of, you know, 12-factor apps. And so trying to look at that from a cloud-native kind of network function perspective, you sort of take that and apply it to cloud-native applications. We actually, we sort of got a, a talk on that, and that's sort of an area where I think there's interesting work to actually, you know, create a little bit of a manifesto of this is, you know, this is what cloud-native functions need to be. It's not just that they're containerized, but that we have continued that disaggregation process even further, but while still getting the throughput and performance that we need 
You know, I think people wouldn't be that happy if we, we went all cloud native, but all of a sudden your cell phone service is significantly worse, um, or you have less functionality in your cell phone service. So um, yeah, and, and 5G certainly is a big driver of that. If you look at the 5G architectures coming out of the standards bodies, they actually are, you know, sort of mandating um, virtualization and, and looking ahead to cloud native, which for these very long standing standards bodies, you know, most of what they've always worked on in the past has been, you know, sort of the, the radio design. And they do that too for 5G, but also looking at, you know, sort of recognizing that things are going to be on the edge, that things need to, you know, stuff needs to be automated and that it does need to be this, this virtualized and, and cloud native environment. You mentioned the development of a manifesto. Can you explain this a little bit more? Yeah. So it's sort of in its early phases. And a couple folks actually who are working on one of the projects here in CF called Network Service Mesh, it's sort of come out of some of their trying to think about how should layer two and layer three networking work in cloud native. Because um, if you look at you know, service mesh, you know, either Linkerd or, or Envoy, you know, it's, you know, it's, it tends to be layer four through seven, which is where application designers tend to care. And uh, what's uh, layer two and three? So that's kind of where network service mesh is trying to enable, you know, using service mesh kind of ideas, but enable the, you know, layer two and layer three connectivity, someone that's selling networks and, you know, making complicated large scale global networks cares about more. And these layers you're talking about is just a protocol or what is it? It's a general OSI model of networking. Okay. Yeah. Just bringing it up, you know, for people. Yeah. When you only hang out with networking geeks, you forget that maybe that's not what people automatically assume. Yeah. And you're currently VP of community and ecosystem for LF networking. Mm -hmm. What is LF networking? So LF networking is an umbrella of projects focused on networking um, within the Linux Foundation. So sort of like CNCF is an umbrella that includes Kubernetes and Prometheus and Envoy, etc. Um, LF networking is a set of projects that we started bringing into existence as this sort of transformation started. And we've got seven projects under that umbrella at the moment. One of the projects you mentioned is this network service mesh. Can you mention another project just to get an idea of what's happening? Well, actually, not, network service mesh is a CNCF project, but it did spin out of one of our projects within LF networking. It's called FIDO, FD.io. And the main thing that... The main project that lives in that one is something called VPP, Vector Packet Processing, which is a way to get really good data plane performance in sort of this, you know, either virtualized or cloud native world. So, you know, that thing I mentioned before around performance and throughput, it was really looking at, okay, how do I push lots of packets through white box, white, white box hardware and, you know, software applications. And so it, it's pretty cool. I mean, if you're a networking geek, it utilizes the thing called dpdk which interacts with hardware acceleration it also moves networking outside the kernel and puts it in user space which is a lot faster and then it utilizes this technology called vector packet processing to be able to send packets a lot faster sort of through your pod or what have you so it sounds like some of them are looking at solving problems in performance and throughput. Yeah. Are there other um, yes. themes? Yeah, so a couple other ones. Two of the original SDN controllers, Open Daylight and Tungsten Fabric, are in there. We have a project called ONAP, which is really focused on the, the telecom back office. So that, for a long time in telecom, as we had all these different 
generations of you know, wireless and wireline connectivity. It all got built up as this highly customized, tangled mess that was highly proprietary and highly customized to every single service provider. And so a couple of years ago, we kicked off a project called OwnApp, which is uh, using open source software to get a lot more uniformity and a lot more you know, simplicity in kind of all of the back-end functions that operators need. We've got two analytics projects. One is called a SNAS, and it, it is interested in network monitoring using a BGP monitoring protocol. And one called Panda, which is sort of um, a big data analytics to help with things like closed-loop automation and network planning and things like that. And then finally, the project that I came into all of this on, a project called OPNFV, uh, which does systems integration, because I've just mentioned a lot of projects. And then we also have things like OpenStack. You know, we have Kubernetes. We have the different projects within Kubernetes. Um, so OPNFV does systems integration to actually, you know, if you want to run a network, which things do you have to put together, as well as providing integrated CICD for all these telecom projects and um, automated end-to-end -end testing, as well as um, a compliance and verification program for all of these things. You know, the telecom world tends to have tends to have always had a very strong it's a regulated industry for one thing but very strong compliance and certification programs and so we're trying to figure out how to meld that sort of old school kind of compliance with you know these software applications that are mainly built in open source so that's been an interesting thing that we've been working on figuring out recently exactly and it's interesting that you bring that up because earlier today I was talking to somebody that works in fintech and prior to that worked in big banks, traditional right. banks, and now she works at Paybase, which is a newer company. Yeah. And she's describing this compliance and certifications and how sometimes that regulation is outdated because they ask things like, where's your data center located? Like precisely and they're like, I don't know. There are actually, it's interesting. There are some reasons for that. This isn't a baking example because I don't know that industry as well, but for things like telecommunications network, if you think about something like lawful intercept, sometimes that are known as, you know, wiretapping, you know, it used to be in the day, the FBI, you know, if they needed to wiretap, you know, get a subpoena to wiretap someone, it would be very much like it's this line. It's not all the lines in New York. So trying to architect things like lawful intercept where traffic might be directed through multiple data centers, you know, their immediate thing too is going to be like, oh, which data center? It's going to be geographically based because it used to be attached to a physical line. And so as all of this sort of stuff starts to, you know, starts to be more virtualized and traffic can get routed wherever, depending on, you know, spin up, spin down, like where's their capacity? You know, some of these basic kind of law enforcement expectations, 911, or I suppose, if, I don't know, is it 999 here? Do you know? I don't know. Uh, yeah. I know it's 999 in the UK, but yeah, so emergency services, first responder services, you know, these are some of the things that are regulated by governments around what you expect from your telecommunications infrastructure. So those are certainly not things that we can abandon, you know, as we're figuring all of this out. Other than regulation and compliance and certification, which can be bottlenecks to yeah. some extent. Yeah. Do you find the telecom industry is embracing change? It is. And it's the thing that I found most amazing doing this job is the extent to which an industry that I had actually left because I didn't want to be in it anymore because it had gotten so stagnant really is embracing change. And that, you know, some operators are more embracing than others. Certainly certain parts of these very large companies are more embracing than others. But, you know, things are getting deployed. Things are happening. You know, I 
I just, you know, we did this workshop on Monday and I was asking you like, what's the most important thing from your perspective? And an operator from a person from Orange said CICD is the most important thing for us to get 5G right. And to the extent that I would have ever guessed a telecom operator engineer would say CICD is the most important thing. And that's pretty extraordinary. So I'm you're definitely seeing this, seeing them participate in open source projects, putting open source, you know, as fundamental requirements in their RFPs. You know, people sometimes think that we move more slow. We do move more slowly than some other industries, but, you know, we're also sort of like a giant iceberg. It's, you know, when, when you do shift it, it's going to go with a great deal of momentum in whatever direction. Exactly. And are there attendees here from the telecom industry? There are. There are several. And what has been the process, I imagine it's a huge process, but I'm not sure, of bringing this cloud native services and technologies into the networking ecosystem? I mean, for one thing, I mean, it was some education of what, you know, of what it means. You know, we, we'd already digested a, a big, I mean, if you actually look at sort of how we've gone from physical to sort of beginning to do cloud native, actually pretty compressed because we picked up virtualization well after a lot of IT had, right? And then we're already looking at cloud native. So you maybe right now we're moving faster than some people, but, you know, part of it was education about what the technologies look like. Part of it is some compelling business applications like 5 and some of those services that that tends to get people moving. You know, I think the other is honestly open source because when they decided to do this open source, people have had to open the kimono a little bit more and you know, be more open about what they're doing and sharing. And so you're seeing people help each other solve problems on technology that's being developed all together. The last thing I want to ask you is more geared towards the efforts of the tech industry, you know, for inclusion and diversity. So I, I wanted your thoughts on queer women in tech open source. There aren't very many of me <laughs> still. <laughs> I mean, talk about cultural shifts that don't seem to be happening. You know, I mean, that's really, you know, the most I can say, I mean, in our workshop on Monday, I was the only woman who spoke, you know, and that that wasn't awesome. I mean, we didn't have that many women in the room either. And, you know, I think there's a part of me that keeps hoping, you know, there's a little bit, you know, the telecom industry is oftentimes the people in it are of a certain age, right? Um, it's not the youngest industry out there. So, but, you know, one of, I mean, actually what I find disheartening is walking around the show floor here at all of these young, fresh startups and how few women there are in all these new companies with all these, you know, young people. And the, it actually seems to almost look worse here than it does at a telecom show. <laughs> so, sorry, I'm not ending on the most positive of notes. Yeah. Well, we can now talk about, you know, some of the efforts and <laughs> yeah. some of the things people yeah. can do. Or I actually subscribe to the, and I think you've seen Intel have success kind of with this approach, which is if we don't measure it and if we don't comp executives and leaders on it, then it won't change, right? You know, if you're a VP at some company, your inclusivity sort of metrics, I think, should count to your towards your bonus as much as your hitting revenue targets should. You know, I think if you start saying, all right, we're going to take this seriously and it's not going to be a secondary thing, it's not going to be an off to the side program that's a nice to have if we magically make it happen, but you know, we're going to treat this as a core metric of our success. To me, I do believe that that's how you start making that change. Definitely. Well, Heather, thank you for coming on the show again. It's thank been you. great. All right. Thank you. It was great to be here. Thank you.